Tonight's episode of Legacy Battle is brought to you by Atlas Benefits. Atlas Benefits has solutions for your insurance needs. Atlas Benefits can help you obtain Medicare, health, or life insurance, and employee benefits. You can find them on the web at www.atlasbenefits.com. Or you can contact Rob Ducey or Roy Smith at 727-600-2892 and mention Legacy Battle Podcast. Atlas Benefits has all the solutions for your insurance needs. Enjoy the show. This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit subscribe on whatever you're listening to. YouTube, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Safari, Google Podcasts, uh, iTunes, Apple, Facebook. We're on everything. Make sure you hit it up. I'm Michael Adams, your creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone and Ravens season ticket holder, Dion Reed, Penn State Collegiate All-Star, Kevin Adams, and from Steelers Nation South, Rollo Cawthon. Our special guest tonight, he was a USA Today All-American. He's a second-round pick out of Florida State, going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Also spent some time with the Cardinals later in his career. He was top 10 for fumble recoveries in 2006. Also had a pick six. And he's a two-time Super Bowl winner. So co former cornerback, Bryant McFadden. Bryant, thank you for coming on tonight. Thank you for having me. Absolutely love that background. That is maybe the greatest background we've had on this show in 60 episodes. That's awesome. Love it. Appreciate it. So tonight's debate, we're going to jump into this. It's going to be the greatest single season defense. So if you're a defensive guy, you're going to love this show. If you're an offensive guy, watch it anyways and go to the archives and check out the episode with Richmond Webb when we did the offenses. So we're going to start out tonight. Well, let's let's start from way back to the present. So we're going to go 1976, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Unfortunately, this is the only team that did not win the Super Bowl on this list, but it's still, in my opinion, the best defense of all time. 76 Steelers had five APR pros, two first-teamers, three second-teamers. Um, Ham and Lambert were both on the first team. Edwards, Joe Green, and Mike Wagner were on the second team. Uh, they had 26 total interceptions, or 22 total interceptions, 24 fumble recoveries for 20 for 46 total takeaways. Um, the team was were coming out back-to-back -back Super Bowls, but they started one and four, and it wasn't looking good for them. Um, but over the last nine games, they added, they gave up 3.1 points per game. That was incredible. So over the first four or five games, they gave up 22 points per game. And eight of those last nine games, they didn't allow a t they didn't allow um, a TD. They surrendered only 28 total points, and only one game of those last nine did they give up more than 10 points. The defense, the opponents, only averaged 2.9 yards per carry over those last nine games. <clears throat> and an unknown journeyman named Mike Krusek went six and zero because of that defense. He didn't allow he didn't throw a single touchdown pass. And they went six and zero in those in his starts. Um, 
they went into Indy. Indy they played Indy in the in the uh, playoffs. Um, who at the time was the number one uh, scoring offense and total offense, and they held them to 14 points, basically beat them down. But in that game, they lost uh, Rocky Blyer and Franco Harris, 2,000-yard rushers, which hindered them the next week when they played Oakland. And so, unfortunately, they fell 24-7. to But the defense didn't allow a touchdown for uh, 22 quarters and five shutouts. And the names that they had on that defense, Blunt, uh, Lambert, Green, all-time great. Some of the all-time greatest defensive players were on those teams. And that's why they're my, my choice for top defense. So, Brian, I, you were a Steeler for a long time. I'm sure some of these guys were around every once in a while. I mean, what are your thoughts on that 76 defense? But also, specifically, you played corner. What are your thoughts on Mel Blunt? I love Mel Blunt. Uh, I actually had Mel Blunt on my podcast, and he he highlighted that 76 season. Uh, I felt like that was one of the best teams he was ever a part of, um, especially on the defensive side. Of, but because of injuries, they weren't able to get to the, uh, win a championship. Um, I think that's, I mean, statistically speaking, is one of the best defenses that we've seen in the NFL. Now, granted, the, the the times have changed when you look at offensive play, but based on what they were going against, based on what the norm was offensively, uh, they shut it down. I don't know if there's one defense ever that has assembled so many Hall of Famers. Uh, I know it's a lot of numbers, a lot of players, but I don't know if there's one defense at one given time, one particular season, has had as many Hall of Famers as that 76 defense. Uh, and also, too, the pressure of lose, losing your starting quarterback in Terry Bradshaw and knowing that offensively you might not get the same production you've grown accustomed to. And you know what? We're going to win ball games for our offense. Not a lot of teams can do that and, and be able to have a successful year. The only knock on that 76 team is that they didn't win a championship. I think, yeah. if, if, they, I think if they won a championship, there's no argument. And, and they, I know Mike Tomlin told us in 2008, we were had like a historically great year defensively. Uh, first team to ever hold 13 straight opponents under 300 yards. And he said, if you ever want to be in the discussion of one of the great, greatest defenses to ever do it, you got to win a championship. You got to win a championship. So that's the only knock for that 76 team. They didn't get a chance to win a championship, but it wasn't because they, they weren't good enough. But, you know, injuries played a big part in that not happening. And I will say our teams that we're representing, other than the Steelers, had a little bit harder road in the fact that they had to play two extra games, 16-game seasons. So. Yep. <laughs> so we don't know what would have happened in those second two games. But let's move on to the 1985 Chicago Bears. And that is represented by me. So this is a team that went 15-1, and which is the second – Best record in NFL history, basically, behind uh, New England's 16-0. And Miami was 14-0, uh, I believe. So two undefeated teams. There was some teams that have been 15-1, but this is right up there. So they also had the most lopsided Super Bowl win in history in 85 when they absolutely annihilated the New England Patriots. That was like pre-Tom Brady, of course. You know, can't see my hat here, but, you know, Pre that, so way, 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 way before that, um, that and and they had a defensive player win the Super Bowl MVP, Richard Dent. So that that's not something that's happened 
a lot in, in NFL history, defensive player winning the Super Bowl MVP. So that that's pretty big in my opinion. But so they had six defenders make the Pro Bowl. Uh, Dent, obviously, uh, Dan Hampton, Steve McMichael, Otis Wilson, Mike Singletary, and Dave Duerson. And then they had an all, another All-Pro at safety, which is uh, Gary Fensick. So absolutely stacked on that defense. Um, they also had the rookie, William the Refrigerator Perry. I mean, he had some pretty good years there for a while. I mean, he's famous for, for other reasons, of course. But, I mean, when he started his career, he was really good. Um, this defense only gave up 198 points, and that was for an average of 12.4. Those were both number one in the league in 85. They were also number one in yards allowed per game at 258.4 and number one with 54 takeaways. So they were definitely getting their team the ball back quite often. Mike Singletary won the defensive player of the year. Ditka was the coach of the year. We all know Ditka was, you know, defensive-minded, even though he played tight end. He was definitely a defensive-minded coach. And then in the playoffs, you go in the playoffs, they shut out the Giants in the, in the first round. They shut out the Rams in the next round. And they win the Super Bowl 46 to 10. So they only give up 10 points in that entire playoffs. And then there's something that – this is my last stat that I'm going to give on this. Your schedule is based off of what happened the season before. The Bears were first the season before. So they played a first-place schedule in that 1985 year, whereas – the Steelers, they played, they did play a first place game uh, schedule, but they only played 14 games. Kevin Seahawks, who we're going to talk about soon, played a second place schedule, and Dion's Ravens played a third place schedule. So, in my opinion, the Bears had the hardest schedule that year of the teams we're discussing tonight. Bryant, 15 and one Super Bowl blowout, defensive player wins the Super Bowl MVP, the Super Bowl shuffle. I mean, the Bears were just famous. What, what are your thoughts on the Chicago Bears of '85? They're, they're my number one. I know we have some, a few other defenses to highlight, but they're number, my number one based on some of the big-time points you were able to give us. Uh, you talked about the two shutouts in the postseason. That has never been done before. That's never been done before. They shut out the New York football giants. They gave up 180 yards in that ball game. Then they played – the Los Angeles Rams, at that time, they were a top two. I think the Rams were the number two seed in the playoffs, if not mistaken, behind yeah, they were. They the were. Bears. With Eric Dickerson, a handful of elite offensive players, they only surrendered 130 yards to the Rams. Think about that. Only 130 yards. So you played against playoff-caliber teams that had championship aspirations, and you gave up, what, 310 yards in two ball games. Not to mention, in postseason play, not including the championship ball game, they, uh, I'm sorry, including the championship, if I'm not mistaken, the numbers serve me correctly, they surrendered 10 points in the postseason run, including the Super Bowl, and they had 10 takeaways. They had the amount of points they surrendered, they provided the same amount of takeaways in three games in postseason play. Three Hall of Famers. You talked to uh, Dan Hampton, um, Dent, and Singletary. Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, the 46 defense, something that we never seen before, right? They revolutionized the game defensively when it came to schemes, when it came to just dominating that scheme. They play the defense no one else can really play at all. So me personally, you talked about the schedule, going 15-1, and, and the only game they lost was to the Dolphins. 
on the road with a top level prime uh prime player in Dan Marino. Outside of that, they watching Chicago back then was kind of boring because they didn't give up anything. Funny Ryan, uh, I believe came up with that four six incredible scheme, but uh, I think they had more swag than everybody we're talking about tonight too. So, but we'll see how the vote goes a little bit later. Let's move on to the year 2000, the Baltimore Ravens, represented by the Baltimore Ravens season ticket holder, Keon Reed. Yeah, so, you know, I'm also a huge college football fan, so I wanted to get the shot of McFadden, you know, in the background. But let me uh, just adjust this camera right here as we talk about the best team, uh, best defense in all the NFL. Okay, so as you said, you know, we're now moving on to a 16-game schedule. So we're talking about uh, more yards possibly um, against a team that's only been five years old at the time. And in their fifth year, this is what they were able to do. They gave up a, a, a league record of 970 rushing yards of the whole season, which is an average of 60.6 yards Again, they beat the record by 186 yards. Let me say that again. They beat the record by 186 yards. So had they played more, three more regular season games, they would have matched the record. Uh, they only gave up 165 points in the whole season, only allowed five rushing touchdowns and 2.7 yards per carry, only allowed 11 passing touchdowns. They let, they let the league in 49 turnovers. 26 fumbles recovered, 23 interceptions. They had the defensive player of the year, three pro, pro bowls that year, and four all-pros. Uh, the, the defensive, uh, they had the defensive interception leader, and Dwayne Starks also the pass deflection leader. Um, it, although we're just talking about that season, altogether for the people, for the players that have played that season, they have 23 all-pros altogether. But not just what's on the field. Let's talk about the coaching staff. For the defensive coordinator, Marvin Lewis, went on to then have a long tenure with the Cincinnati Bengals. Rex Lyon. Like, come on now. Uh, we got Mike Smith, who coached down in uh, Atlanta. And he, uh, he was coaching the defensive, line, uh, the defensive line. Linebacker coach, Jack Del Rio. So not only were we producing on the field, we also ended up producing in, uh, for other future teams, head coaches. Although we're talking about the regular season, let's move on to the playoffs. First playoff game in Ravens history, 21-3 against Denver. Go on to the division round, 24-10 for the Super Bowl favorite Tennessee Titans. Go on to the AFC Championship game, 16-3. Then we go to the Super Bowl, we went 34-7. That only seven came on the kick return. This defense was able to put up points that the offense was not. We want to talk about... Uh, Going through a drought, this team, 16 quarters without scoring an offensive touchdown and still managed to go 2-2 two and two during that time span. Some of the players that we had, uh, Ron Wilson, Ray Lewis, Sam Adams, Terry uh, the Goose, uh, Dwayne Starks, Herring, like these are players who set the golden standard for playing like a Raven. So that's my case. For the 2000 Ravens. So, Brian, you 
played against a lot of these guys that were still around in 2005. Baltimore-Pittsburgh, everybody knows that's probably one of the biggest rivalries in football. But uh, also, this was the only team we're talking about tonight that was really carried by their defense. So how much extra pressure is there on a defense when you know basically you, you're going to have to win a lot of games for your team? And what are your thoughts on that Ravens 2000 team? Well, it's a lot of pressure. When you know that, to, when you know that's the, 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 the circumstances that you're in, you have no room for error, which makes what they did so important. Um, they had four shutouts in the regular season, four shutouts. And of course, we heard about the stats in the postseason only allowing 23 points. That's huge. Four shutouts. You know, now it's hard to see a defense get two shutouts. I know Buffalo just got two shutouts in this current season right now, but they probably won't get another shutout. The Baltimore Ravens had four shutouts, not to mention they were 12-4. and four. They won a championship with Tony Banks and Trent Different at the quarterback position. Think about that, right? And, and no knock on those two quarterbacks. They were professional quarterbacks. They weren't like top-level guys at the position, though. You know what I'm saying? Best case scenario, they probably would be middle-level guys. Now when you look at Super Bowl champions, you got a guy at the quarterback position that we probably pretty much all would hang our hat on in winning a ball game if we had to. They won championships. They won that championship with their defense. Ray Lewis was spectacular. You talked about Dwayne Starks. You had Chris McAllister on that team as well. Uh, Bullware. I mean, you got – the way they ran their defense, they were a physical, physical, imposing unit. Um it's hard to not have them in your top three or top five. Um, what they did and knowing the pressure that they were under, uh, it speaks volumes on how consistent they were and how dominant. And one thing I love about that unit, they effaced the ground and pound attack. You couldn't run the football on them. And good luck in trying to pass with the guys in the secondary and the way they brushed the passer. So they deserve to be in this conversation hands down. I kind of already gave my number one already, but – I have no issue with Baltimore. And if someone said that Ravens 2000 defense is number one, that's a legit argument as well. Carlo, you had something you want to add? Remember, the Steelers had five shutouts in 76, if I had more, in, in less games. And then um, I had another point. I just forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, five shutouts. Oh, well, no, I, I got the point. The Baltimore Ravens weren't the top statistically defense in total yards. Tennessee was. Tennessee was the top defense in yards uh, given up that year. Behind them. Okay. <laughs> well, uh. and just, just to add to Brian's point about the quarterback play for Baltimore that year, Trent Dilfer, he, he did get it done that year, but he had so many opportunities in Tampa with Tampa 2, and he, and he didn't get it done. So that should tell you how good that Ravens defense was. So. Let's move on to our final team tonight, and that's going to be the 2013 Seattle Seahawks. So you already, you already made your, your decision on us there, Brent. Um, <laughs> so I figure it's between my defense and the 85 Bears because I already know that my team is better than uh, the Ravens and the Sewers that we talked about. So I just got to convince you that we're better than the Bears, the 2013 Seahawks. Um and by the way, they have the best nickname, Legion of Boom. I mean, come on, greatest nickname. So it was their fourth season under uh, Pete Carroll and their 38th in the NFL. Uh, they won 10 of their first 11 games that season. 
Um, and they finished their franchise uh, record uh, for best record uh, at the end of the regular season, 13-3. and three. And this was hands down one of the best defenses in NFL history. They led the league in points allowed, only 231, yards allowed, 4,378, and takeaways at 39. They're the first team to do that since the 1985 Chicago Bears to lead all three of those categories. They also led in passing yards allowed, rushing touchdowns allowed, and yards per play. They had a 186-plus point differential, uh, which was the best in franchise history, so they're set in franchise uh, uh, marks as well. Uh, they allowed less than 10 points in seven games that season. The 2013 Seahawks had a 14.4 points allowed per game in the regular season, which was the lowest in franchise history. Their defense was led by Sherman, uh, Chancellor, Thomas. All three were pro bowlers. All three were all pros. Uh, they were arguably the deepest uh, defense in NFL history. Uh, they were the most feared defense in the past decade uh, prior to that year and reached similar heights, uh, if not higher, than some of the great defenses in previous years. Sherman had led the NFL with eight interceptions. The secondary was best in league history. The front seven had Avril Bennett combining for 16 and a half sacks on the edge. Bobby Wagner, over 100 tackles. Clemens, four and a half sacks. Malcolm Smith, he actually only started uh, half the season that year. And he got the Super Bowl MVP, uh, which ties what uh, the Chicago Bears had with their defenseman getting the MVP in the Super Bowl. Um, he had a fumble recovery, 10 tackles, and an interception return uh, for a touchdown uh, in that Super Bowl. NBC Sports ranked this, this defense the third most dominant uh, defense. Uh, in Super Bowl 48, they defeated and crushed the first place Denver Broncos 43-8 to for their first Super Bowl victory. Denver finished that season 13-3 as well for the second straight year. They had the best offense in the NFL, leading the league in points scored at 606, which was the highest total in NFL history. Yards gained over 7,000 yards. Manning posted one of the best seasons by a quarterback in NFL history, uh, leading the league in completions, attempts, yards, and touchdown passes. His 5,477 5, passing yards and 55 touchdowns both set NFL records. His total 450 completions was second highest in NFL history, and his 115 passer rating ranked second in the league that season. They had two wide receivers over 1,000 yards, a running back over 1,000 yards. The Seahawks had a harder opponent in their Super Bowl match. Yes, 85 Bears um, played the Patriots, which, might I add, their quarterback that season only threw for about 2,100 yards, 11 touchdowns, and 17 interceptions. And their backup wasn't any better. So no receivers over 1,000 yards, no running backs over 1,000 yards. Chicago Bears had an easier game in the Super Bowl. The Seahawks had a tougher mountain to climb, and they overcame it. They're the better defense than, than the 85 Bears. <laughs> I, I didn't see that game coming. I, I thought the Broncos were going to roll, but I, I was shocked. So I'm going to give you that one, Kevin. Um, I just want to throw this in, though. You mentioned the Patriots and the quarterback. Their quarterbacks actually split between Steve Grogan and Tony Eason. So, you know, they split time. But, Bryant, let's come to you. Let, let's talk about the Legion of Boom. I mean, Richard Sherman, maybe one of the greatest corners in, in history, still going down. He's down now with uh, Tom Brady on the Buccaneers, of course. But uh, what are your thoughts on that defense? And did that Super Bowl surprise you? Uh, number one, I love that defense. I love, you know, the tone setter and Cam Chancellor. 
I love the guys in the front. Uh, they they flew around. Uh, they imposed their will on any offense they faced. Uh, you talked about some of the big key guys they had on that defense, and they just played together. You know, they 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 were an unselfish group, and you saw it. Um, and and I was yeah, I was surprised. I wanted Seattle to win because I always cheer for a defensive-minded team uh, where the defense is kind of what you hang your hat on. So I'm a bit biased when it comes to that element. But, yeah, I was surprised. But I can tell you this much. When I saw the first play that went for a safety, I'm like, okay. Okay. This might be a long night for Denver. That's a great way to start off. And then you get a special teams touchdown from Percy Harvin as well. Uh, I mean, you get a defensive score and a special team score. The likelihood of you winning that ball game is likely, very likely, and they were able to do so. I think this is the this is the because I already kind of showed my hand earlier about who my number one is. <laughs> Seattle didn't have the defensive player of the year on their team, hmm. right? And yeah. I don't remember who won it in twenty thirteen, but we we it wasn't a Seattle Seahawks. Chicago eighty five, hey. Mike Singletary will go is considered one of the best linebackers to ever do it. Period. Like he's like the golden standard. And he was a defensive player of the year. I it's it's hard to kind of trump what's what Chicago did. And right, you I know you talked about the quarterback play um in the Super Bowl, but if you look at the quarterback and the offensive play they went against in the postseason, where they just didn't allow anything. I mean, you got the Giants. If I'm not mistaken, I think Phil Sims. That was that cold game in Chicago. Phil Sims was 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 there. Yeah, he was a quarterback. Was, he was healthy. Couldn't get anything going. Eric Dickinson couldn't find any daylight. So they kind of took them for the gas a little bit based on what they allowed in the Super Bowl. But it's hard to trump that 85 Bears, man. It is, man. It, it, it's it's hard to trump that 85 Bears. Well, before we move into our vote, let's just give a quick shout-out to the teams that just missed the list tonight. That's going to be the, the 68 Colts, the 86 Giants, of course, LT, and the 2002 Buccaneers, the Tampa 2, that absolutely annihilated the Raiders in the Super Bowl. So pretty close, but they just missed our list tonight. Let's move into our vote. Remember, guys, you cannot vote for your own team. Kevin, you got first vote tonight. I. I... If I vote with my head, because I have a feeling I know how this is going to go, I would not vote for the Bears. <laughs> but I do feel that the Bears are better than the other two defenses that were represented besides mine, because I think mine's better than the Bears. But I'm going to go with the Bears. Okay, so I I'm going to go next. And I want to say this, Rallo, about your 76 Steelers. If I was voting for a five, six-year period tonight, it would be the Steel Curtain. No questions asked. But one single season, I, I can't I can't give it to them. Um, and as someone who grew up in Pittsburgh and as a Steelers fan, it breaks my heart that I'm going to now vote for a Baltimore Ravens team. Ooh. Because I do believe that that 2000 Ravens defense, I when I saw that, saw them all year of course but when I saw that Super Bowl against the Giants I don't even know if the Giants had like 150 yards the whole game I mean it was insane so I'm, I'm going one for the Ravens Dion 
beautiful pick, by the way. That's <laughs> a beautiful pick. But no, um, so I, I, I am struggling because the stories I hear were the 85 bits. I didn't even know all the statistics as far as the postseason until tonight. But I want, I'm going to go to the Seahawks, but let me explain why. We're talking about so an era. We're, going, we're talking about an era where the marketing is just full points now. Like, you know what I mean? It, we're talking about Peyton Manning on what could have been his last ride had he, had he won the Super Bowl. He probably would have retired after that game. And you're talking about an offense, a prolific offense that had multiple thousand-yard receivers and a thousand-yard rushing. Um, one arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history, and for them to only score eight, the Seahawks traveled across country because that was the first, I think, it was the first Super Bowl in Northeast, right? Uh, Northeast region, I'm not sure, but for them to do what they did, not just in that Super Bowl, but all season long, I don't fear teams. I fear the Seahawks. I fear to see so I'm I'm glad that it was Okay. Rollo. Uh I watched those Ravens as a Steeler fan all season when they come up. But as a kid, the eighty five Bears was fun. I mean they were fun. It was Super Bowl shuffle and and Walter Payton with the kangaroos. That that eighty five Bears was fun. So I gotta go eighty five Bears. Bryant, we go to you. Who are you taking? You know who I'm picking. I'm sorry. I, I was I went too early. I couldn't hold my peace. <laughs> I gotta go 85 Bears. I just the, the 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 dominant performances they were able to do and the postseason run. Like we never seen that before. We have yet to see it again. We've yet to see it again. Shut out two teams in the postseason, only allowed 10 points in the entire postseason, right? That's unheard of. I don't think that will ever be done again. And and three Hall of Famers and a revolutionized defense that we might not ever see again as well, along with the defensive player of the year and their schedule. You talked about the year before they finished number two, so they had a top-level schedule going into 85 because of the success in 84. So they played some of the best the NFL had to offer because of how well they were they played the year before, and they went fifteen and one. They could, they went fifteen and one. Think about that. So, I mean, everybody wanted that rematch in the Super Bowl with Miami when New England took out Miami in that championship game. There, like everyone was just shocked because they were hoping for another Bears Dolphins matchup. That would have been an insane game, but we didn't get it, unfortunately. So, yeah. So, win tonight for the eighty-five Bears. I got the win. Let's move into our Q&A here for Brian about his career. Uh, since I got the win, I get first question. I haven't won in a while, so that's kind of nice. Brian, um, well, you mentioned your podcast. Tell us where we can find your podcast and what's it about. Uh, thank you. Well, you can find my podcast anywhere where podcasts are found. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. We also have a YouTube channel, All Things Covered. Uh, YouTube, or just go to YouTube.com slash All Things Covered. Uh, most recent guest episode that we're dropping tomorrow is Dalvin Cook. Uh, he's joining us for this upcoming episode. We drop at least one episode a week. We also usually have a few bonus episodes that we add into our weekly drop 
Um, and it's just been going good. We get a chance to tap in with, uh, you know, current around the league news with Patrick Peterson. Of course, he's injured now. He had an opportunity of talking about his injury. Um, you know, the expectations of getting back into the lineup sooner than later, uh, talking about the overall season. Uh, some notable guests that we've had on. I mean, we've, we've currently, I think we're almost approaching 80 episodes. Um, and throughout our 80 episodes, we probably had, and I'm throwing out the number, it could be 80, give or take, but we've probably had four episodes where we didn't have a guest, um, notable guests from the NFL, Tyron Matthew, OBJ, um, Juju Smith-Schuster, Jameis Winston, Derwin James, Devin White, uh, Levante David, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Mike Tomlin, um, Shoot, I'm having it, – it's been a lot of guys. Nick Saban, we had Nick Saban on. Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, nice. Master nice. E, Ice Cube, uh, Fabulous. Um, even for the ladies, we had Joy Taylor on. Chanel West Coast, Mel Blunt, Anelius Williams. Um, it's been a lot. It's been a lot, but it's been real fun. I enjoy it. So I uh, appreciate the question. And you guys got any free time, go ahead and listen. Give us a like, a comment, and, sus and subscribe as well. Definitely going to check that out. Rollo, go ahead. All right. I'm rocking, rocking the 20 right now, bro. Um, appreciate it. One of my favorite games of all time was the 2005 Divisional Playoff game against the Colts. One of my favorite games. I, I was on pins and needles. Jubilee had had all the emotions. Two-part question. When Bettis fumbled that ball, what was your reaction? And then that last play before the, the, the Venturi field goal, you should have had that pick. You should have had that pick. What happened? Yeah. What happened? <laughs> uh, the first part of your question, when Jerome fumbled, we were in the state of shock. We were so busy. And you being a Steeler fan like you are, you remember – we played the Colts early in the season, and it was Monday Night Football. They beat us like twenty-six to three. It was horrible, right? We got embarrassed. We knew we knew we didn't play our best game, so we wanted a chance to, to see them again. And at that time, they were rolling. So Bill Cowher, and that was in the RCA Dome, right? It wasn't at the Lucas Oil where they currently play the RCA Dome. Bill Cowher in the locker room said, "Don't worry. In January, we're going to be right back in this same locker room. It's going to be a different outcome." We heard them and we listened and we believed it. It was like, "Yeah, no question." So going back to that game, we had an extraordinary game plan. If you remember that game, how we started off offensively, it was all passes. Play action, taking shots, being aggressive. Not the, norm, the normal offense that we showcase. Defensively, sending pressure. Sending pressure. They had no answer for us. So going to that last drive offensively, we, we were too busy talking so much trash to the fans because they helped us so much the first time we went there. We wanted some get back. So we're not even watching the game behind us. We're too busy talking crazy to their fans. They cussing us out. We going back and forth. Go home. Y'all season over. Because remember, that Colts team, they were like 13-3. and three. They were rolling. I mean, the Hall of Famers, you had Peyton, Edgerin, Marvin. Eventually, Reggie going to get in there. You had Jeff Saturday. You had Dallas Cobb. You had Freeney. You had Mathis. You had Brackets. You had Bob Sanders. I mean, you had some real guys, some go-getters on that team. 
So we just talking trash, and we just heard the crack. The, the fans went crazy. So when they went crazy, we like, why are they going crazy for for us scoring? Because we thought we were going to score. We was on the goal line. We like they not stopping JB from not scoring. So we like, man, they going crazy. Why they why they why they cheering for for our touchdown? So we having to look back. We see freak, freaking Nick Harper with the ball in his hand. So we go from what? Wait a minute. And then we like, oh, get him, Ben. No, get him, get him. Ben gets him down. And now we got to go get our helmet. They're like, defense, defense, you up. So we get in the huddle, and James Ferrier, who was our middle linebacker, he was the play caller. He's looking to the sideline like Dickie, Dick LeBeau. He's like, Dickie, give me something. Give us a call. Our sideline's in a state of shock. We're like, oh, freak. And now I was the only rookie in the game in, on defense the whole time I was the only rookie. And I'm in my mind, in my mind, I'm like, oh, I already know where he's going. I said, I already know where he's going. So we call it fire zone. Fire zones for us, for cornerbacks, it's straight man to man. And we're trying to scramble to get into our position, so we're not even disguising anything. So now Peyton knows exactly what we're doing. He knows exactly where he want to go with the football. First play was a dig right to Reggie. Bam, caught Reggie in, in stride. I came up and make the tackle. I'm like, oh, boy. I said, oh, Matt, you better get ready, man. It's going to be a long drive. The second play, he threw the opposite side. I'm like, oh, boy. Third, and you remember, he used to go kind of fast. He'd go up-tempo, no huddle. The next play, I'm like, I already know. I just I felt like he was going to take a shot. And and everything was quiet. When the ball snapped, when Peyton got the ball in his hands, I heard the crowd. But when he launched the ball in my direction, I didn't hear nothing. Yeah, I didn't hear anything, right? So what helped me out in that situation, as a defender playing cornerback, anytime you have a man concept, you're taught to turn into the wide receiver because you're playing man. You always want to keep your eyes on the man. In this situation, something told me to zone turn. So when I zone turn, I open up so I can look at the quarterback. And what that allowed me to do was to I was able to locate the football before Reggie. And that's why you see so many corners lose 50-50 balls or get beat down the field because they don't locate the football first. Usually when receivers locate the football, they can, they can attack it before we can because they see it before we see it. But when I zone turn, I literally see the ball coming from Peyton's hand. And I see where the ball is going, the trajectory of the ball. So now I'm trying to meet the ball to the spot, but also be mindful where I got Reggie is because you see that picture behind you. Reggie still was trying to go get it. He was still trying to go get it. So when I saw the ball, everything was quiet. It was slow motion. I know people say that all the time. Like it gets quiet. Things become slow. Literally, that's how it was for me. And I locate the ball. And when I went up, as you see, Reggie was still trying to go get it. And I just kept clawing at the ball, clawing at the ball. And even when we hit the turf, he was still trying to catch the ball. So now when that happened, I didn't celebrate because it was like I was still in the state of shock. Like, if you see the highlight, I'm, I'm going right back because I know we got another play. And then the very next play, Peyton came back again. I'm like, oh. But luckily, they had some communication issues because Reggie ran a stop and go. Peyton threw the stop. And that's the one you were talking about. I couldn't get my hands almost all the way underneath it. And my mom like, oh, shoot. I'm like, man, I just caused us the game because I picked that ball up. Vanderjack don't even come out. And at that time, Vanderjack was a very, very good, reliable kicker. And we were like, and to, to be quite fairly honest with you, if we had to go into overtime, just the momentum that's, that changed in favor of the coach, it would have been tough for us in overtime. Because you remember back then, in those overtime rules, the first team – that gets the football, it's about who kicks the field goal first. Right. You know what I mean? So 
I don't know what would have happened, but we didn't want to go into overtime because the momentum just shifted. Long story short, Vanjack came out, missed the field goal, and and uh, I, I was just like, wow. And I'm going to tell you the good, the good thing about that night that I'll never forget. I'm a Laker fan, right? So when we played the Colts and when we got back to Pittsburgh, that's the same night Kobe scored 81 points against the Raptors. So I was like, man, we I'm like, we destined to win the Super Bowl now. There's nothing else. I came up with a huge pass breakup on two plays to help us win. And my guy just scored 81 points? I was mad he didn't allow him to get 100. He was supposed to get 100. So that's how that happened. Kevin, go ahead. Um, I want to take you to college. Uh, you played for great coach Bobby Bowden. And I just wanted to hear your thoughts on Bobby and what it was like playing for him at Florida State. Man, a living legend. When Bobby came to recruit me, he came to my house. Before we got into the in-home visit, the people, the teachers at my school found out that he was coming. So they sent so much memorabilia for him to sign. So I had to ask Bobby. I was nervous. Like, Bobby, I'm sorry, Coach Bobby. You know, it's not me, but it's a lot of people at my school. They've heard you were coming. Would you mind signing some of these pieces? So we did a 30-minute autograph signing before we got into the home visit. And he was okay with it. Uh, but he sat down, just, you know, a humble individual, um, straightforward, um, had his beliefs, had the, the his morals. Uh, and he was just a living legend, man. He was just like walk, walk, talking to greatness. You know what I'm saying? And he wanted me to be a part of his football program. And when I got when I got there, Bobby didn't say a whole lot, but he knew what was going on. You know, he always knew what was going on. Halftime, he'll always say, seniors won't let us lose. If you're a senior, it's your job to not allow us to lose, lose this ball game. Uh, he meant a lot to all of us. You know what I mean? Just the respect, the humility that he displayed, and he wanted us to exercise daily. Um, it wasn't just about football. It was about, you know, religion. It was about academics. It was about family. You know, all of those things under one umbrella uh, and understanding that. And, um, you know, he, he lived a full life. He touched a lot of lives. You know what I'm saying? Um, very, very positive. And, yeah, Bobby was a Bobby was a cool dude, super cool. Uh, didn't really raise his voice too much. But if he did, you know, it was a big, it was a big deal. Um, and like I said, when he came to my house, man, it was like – it's like watching someone who didn't walk, but they float. It's just like you just floating, God, like, shit, that's Bobby Bob. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah, but it, it was a cool experience. Kevin knows like, what that's like. He went to Penn State, Turno, so he <laughs> – <laughs> Dion, go ahead. I want to go back, I want to, go back to uh, Rollo's question. Um, well, first of all, that was a, the best uh, sports story I ever heard because that was literally – the only moment I actually felt bad for the Steelers. And that ball went out. I said, oh, no. Wait, wait, wait no. Like, I actually felt bad. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Rollo kind of picked on you a little bit about uh, not making that interception. But I want to ask you about your first career interception. And obviously, um, that's not the only job of a defensive bat. But I believe it was against Tony Maddox. Uh, what was it like to get your first interception? First career interception actually was against uh, Jacksonville and Byron Leftwich. Wow, okay. He left. So, funny story. In that ball game, that was 2005, Jacksonville Jaguars in Hinesville. Kind of cold, a little snowy. Uh, the shade was hurt, and I didn't get the first nod to go in as a nickel corner. I felt some type of way. T.D. Awoma was the first uh, player to get in. 
So TD ended up getting hurt, hurting his hamstring like in the second half. And I remember Bill Kyle came to me on the sideline. Do you know your stuff? I'm like, oh, coach, man, stop trying me. Yeah, I know my stuff. I wasn't screwing up in practice. I'm like, yeah, coach, I know. You sure? You're going in. I'm like, oh, freak. So I go in the football game, and the first person I line up on was freaking Jimmy Smith. I was like, oh, <laughs> man, yeah. I said, oh, shoot. And this is Jimmy Smith who's toward the end of his career, but he still is a dog, a straight dog. Man, and I and I grew up watching Jimmy Smith. Man, I saw Jimmy Smith give Baltimore like 200 yards in, in Baltimore. You, you, you know the game I'm talking about. He had like 50 fantasy points or something crazy. Like, they couldn't stop him. Like, I see Jimmy Smith take the top off of Hall of Famers, like everything. I'm looking, oh, man, this is Jimmy Smith. So, for me, that's my first game. And I was kind of starstruck, but it was more like, hey, Man, don't be out here playing around. You've seen Jimmy Smith take Chris McAllister, the who's a who yard, and it's nothing. So, man, I'm covering Jimmy Smith. And to this day, I said he one, he's one of the, the, the toughest covers I've ever had in the National Football League because he was just – luckily enough for me, they didn't throw him the ball. He was open every route he ran against me. They just didn't throw him the ball. I'm happy they didn't because I probably wouldn't have been out there long because he was doing some – he was do, doing, me, doing me bad out there, really. But in the fourth quarter uh, – Tommy Maddox is in the, at quarterback. Something happened to Ben. Tommy Maddox at, at, at quarterback. Offense is not really doing anything. So in the fourth quarter, they were driving, right? They need like a field goal to win. The game is tied. So we called Diamond Wake, Weak Cobra White, which is a corner blitz to, from the short side of the football field. So Ike and Troy was blitzing from the boundary, and I was to the field side, and we were playing a quarter technique, basically man-to-man unless the wide receiver runs a five-yard stop route, five-yard China route, which is an in route. Uh, so the receiver was Reggie Williams, first-rounder, former first-rounder from Washington, the Huskies, right? So you remember their receiving core, they had Matt Jones from Arkansas, Reggie Williams, uh, Woolfolk from from Virginia Tech. Uh, I can't remember who else. But anyway, I, I was on Reggie's side, and uh, he ran a go route. And uh, it's kind of similar to what, what I did in, in the coach game. Uh, B-Love threw it up there. He kind of left it up there to, to, to dry a little bit. And I was able to come down with a, 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 a basically a game-saving interception that led the game to go into overtime. And I was like, wow. At the time, it didn't – you know what? I still had – I had my I had the football up here too, uh, the first interception I got. I had it up here. Uh, but I, it, it didn't really hit home how big of a play that was because I was just in the moment. I'm like, you know, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Uh, but long story short, we go into overtime and we lose that ball game. Rasheed Mathis, who used to be the Pittsburgh Steeler killer, uh, a pick six to win it for Jacksonville. But that was my first interception against Byron Leftwich, who also became my teammate later on in life. Yep. <laughs> Kevin, I'm going to give you another one because I shorted you on the John LeClaire show. So go ahead. Sure. All right. Um, <clears throat> I want to take you to the, the second Super Bowl victory. Tampa Bay, and um, against the Cardinals, two great plays in that in that game. You have Harrison running back the 99-yard interception return, and then you had the amazing pass by Roethlisberger to Santonio Holmes in the corner of the end zone. There, um, what was what was that Super Bowl like for you guys to get that second one in? I think it was three years. Well, what was that Super Bowl like for you? Uh, it was amazing. So that was year four for me, right? So that was the fourth year. So we, I played in two Super Bowls in four years. 
I was like, I'm thinking that's how it's supposed to be. Like every other year, we have a hiatus from the game, and then we're back, we're back in it. But that play before halftime was it was it kind of won the game for us. And the reason why I say that is because they were getting ready to score. Worst case scenario, they were going to score three points, right? And they were getting the ball after halftime. But if they score a touchdown, so at that time, I think we were up 10-7. 10-7. So instead of going down in half uh, 14-10, we go up 17-7. That's huge. That is huge. I mean, that or going in to have 10-10. You know what I'm saying? They had to set, set, settle for a field goal. But you guys watch football all the time. Usually when they run that pick route, it's a completion. You know what I mean? And if James Harrison wasn't there, it would have been completed. But with James doing what he did, not doing what he was supposed to do, just doing his own thing, led to us taking points away from the Cardinals and putting points on the scoreboard for us. So it's basically a 14-point swing. So we went into halftime with all the momentum. Like, if they would have scored, I mean, it would have made it very, very difficult for us in the second half because they were getting the football back, and that offense was loaded. You know what I mean? They had – they potentially have four Hall of Famers on that offense. Kurt already in the Hall of Fame. Edron in the Hall. Larry's going to get in the Hall. And Quan's going to get in the Hall as well. They have four Hall of Famers. You know what I mean? So that was huge for us. And that's also, too, I'm trying to figure out something. I, I'm trying to figure out something. We just did a segment highlighting some of the best defenses in the NFL history. But how we don't even give any consideration to the 2008 Steelers? Because I heard all these different arguments about Dell. They had the toughest schedule. I don't know if y'all remember, but that 2008 year, we had the hardest schedule in the NFL. Had the hardest schedule in the NFL. At that time, people were picking us to finish best case scenario third in our own division. They were picking Baltimore ahead of us. They were picking Cleveland ahead of us. Because remember in 2007, Cleveland were 10 and 6. They had a few, a few pro bowlers. We held 13 straight opponents to under 300 yards. Under 300 yards. Played the Trent. NFC East. We played the NFC East that year. We played the AFC South along with the Chargers playing our division. And we had another non-divisional opponent as well. And we were 13-3. and three. I'm just trying to figure out something. And then you saw what we did in the Super Bowl. Like we, I just named four Hall of Famers in the Super Bowl matchup that we played against. And that Great. offense was rolling one of the best offenses in, play, in postseason play. Not to mention what we did in the playoffs. Who we beat in the playoffs? We beat the Chargers. Phillip Rivers, Hall yeah. of Famer. He will get in the Hall of Fame, right? Right. LaDainian Thomason, right? Uh, Gates, right? <laughs> I mean, and then in, in the AFC Championship game, we played Baltimore. So I just, I just threw that out there. So I just wanted to know what was going on. But, but you, you did bring up two big names uh, that you would have had to cover in that Super Bowl. So uh, Bolden and, and Fitzgerald. So what was, what was that game covering those two uh, to win the Super Bowl? Oh, well, I, you know, I, I played with Quan at Florida State. So I knew what type of player he was. And during that year for them – Larry Fitzgerald was just a, a machine. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald was a machine in, 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 the, in, the, in their playoff run. Uh, but for us, that was, you know, anytime we had a player like that we were going against, that would usually be Ike Taylor responsibility. And Ike did a real good job outside that fade route and then the, the, the long one that he caught. But it was an a, a understanding that 
we didn't want to allow certain players for them to control the narrative of their offense. Um, Anquan was like the the muscle, you know what I mean? He was the guy that was going right. to give you all the physical nature you want. Larry was a guy who was big and physical, but he was a big playmaker for their offense. Not to mention, you can't forget about Steve Breston as well. They had three wide receivers that had over mm-hmm. 1,000 yards. Yeah, so 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 Anquan was physical, man. And tackling Anquan was like tackling a linebacker. And then for Larry, and then I ended up going to Arizona next year, just seeing how, how hard Larry worked, man, was impressive. And, you know, he's going to be a first ballot when that time comes. So I won the show tonight. Normally I would get final question, but I'm going to concede the final question to Rollo because he bleeds black and gold. Go ahead, Rollo. One last question. Earlier I said it was Vinatieri. It just seemed like he was in the league that long. It was Vanderjack. But you know, Vinatieri has been in the league like 62 years. But uh, you played in three Super Bowls in seven seasons. What was your most memorable moment in those Super Bowls? Mm. I don't remember anything from the loss. I don't want to remember the loss. I've yet to watch that game in its entirety. I will never watch that game. Uh, But the first one, one of my most memorable moments outside of winning it was the national anthem. And I think Aretha Franklin, she sung it in Detroit, uh, Motor City, where she was from, home of Motown. Uh, and I remember listening to her sing it, and I just started to reflect back as a child, like growing up watching so many Super Bowls as a child, sitting in the, sitting on the floor, Indian style, just with a football in my hand, just watching it, and seeing so many different uh, big name celebrities or music musicians sing the national anthem, and seeing how it just affected the players at that time that were getting ready to go to battle. And then now, years later, I'm standing on the sideline. I'm getting ready to do what I used to watch grown men do, play in the Super Bowl. And I just started thinking back to when I was a child, playing outside with my cousins. Wasn't organized football, but just believing and hoping one day I can get a chance to do that. And just hearing her let it go. I remember she had on like a red or burgundy fur coat. And man, when I said she she sung that song from her soul, and it touched my soul. It was like, man, this is this is it. All the hard work, all the dedication, all the the battles, mentally and physically, that I went to was going through. It all was worth it. So that was one thing that I remember. And the first one was the national anthem, Aretha Franklin. The second one, oh, the second one was like, it's it's a little different because you kind of know what to expect, but. When it's a few moments, I think when Santonio, when he made that catch, I felt like we were destined for bigger things. Like when he made that catch, and defensively, we knew we weren't going to let it down. We're like game over. But when he made that catch, in my mind, I'm like, we can continue to do this, meaning get to the championship ball games and win. And and when so when Tone made that catch, it was like everything that we worked hard for, like training camp in Latrobe, the hot summers, uh, the cold winters when it's deep November, your body's hurting, December's hurting, and just seeing the results. And Tone made that catch. It was like, man, this is what we're supposed to do. Like this is what we're supposed to do. We just won two Super Bowls in four years the right way, 
It was no spy gate. It was none of that foolishness. We did it the right way, right? Oh, yeah. Why we can't keep doing it? And um, unfortunately, some guys left, you know what I mean, messed up the rotation a little bit. Um, but that's one thing that I remember, man. It's like, man, we got to keep this. We we we're, we're, we got a close-knit group. Man, there's no reason why we can't be right back here. Not next year and the year after next. We'd give the league a, a year to get, to get there. But every other year we should be there. And just how we came together when he made that catch, man, is something I never forget. And um, it always touched home whenever I see that catch from Santonio. Like, yo, that's something that we all work hard for and we all knew it was going to happen. Well, thank you so much to Brian McFadden for joining us tonight. What, what an honor. Uh, yeah. Awesome Steelers. Make sure you check out his podcast as well as hitting subscribe on whatever you're listening to this podcast on as well. Continue to grow those members lists on everything that we're on. So thank you for watching. Everybody have a great night. God bless.